want to continue uh, today with what I was talking about last week. In Corinthians, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And I want to talk about the increase of God. In Luke, let's turn to Luke, God gives the increase. Now, if you were to talk to someone in the world, for example, a professional uh, who's working in a company who has uh, their idea of what success is and what riches are and what increase is, for the most part, you will get basically the same thing from people. Not everyone, but a lot of people have the idea that to be successful in a job or a career, uh, to have money, to have a nice home, or some will even say, you know, family, having a nice family, a good family, and having that solid is increase. And that may be true, but the increase that we see in the scriptures always, always centers, first of all, around the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in Luke 12, verse 16, Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The, the ground of a certain... Excuse me. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And as I see here, the, the flaw in thinking here is not you know, building necessarily something bigger because you need more room. But the flaw is that in the heart of the individual, there is this increase, what they consider increase, and then taking their ease. In other words, you know, that's it, and this is basically, I've achieved this or, or whatever it may be, and now, you know, my soul is going to take its ease. And by the way, that, that type of a thinking can enter the spirit of anyone. But God said, verse 20, to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he, excuse me, so is he who lays up treasure for himself. See, that's the key. Laying up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So there's the contrast, being rich toward yourself. And a self-centered person will always try to bring things to themselves, no matter what that may be, because their world does not revolve around God, does not revolve around Jesus. Their world basically revolves around them, themselves. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Now I'll read this from the King James. Uh, different translations read, read it a little different. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition, uh, tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. 
So the King James translates this phrase, rudiments of the world. Uh, the New King James, I like this, uh, translates it, the principles of the world. So the principles of the world that get into the heart, be it someone who's not saved or even a saved one, will cause difficulties, will cause problems. And Paul says that the principles of the world will spoil you. And this word spoil, I looked at this. Loanita's lexicon defines this as to take over complete control of the person. So, well, let's just look at this, first of all, being in the world. Someone doesn't know the Lord. They are taken over with their own desires. They're taken over with that which is put in front of them by the media, uh, that which creates a desire in their heart, and they begin to move toward that, whatever it may be, their idea of success or riches or whatever. And, you know, Paul says <clears throat> that is something that spoils you or it takes complete control of the person. And you can see this very clearly with some people that are driven uh, to work, 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 you know, 50 hours, 60 hours, 70 hours, um, to, uh, you know, build more and more and more and more and bigger, 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 higher, 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 uh, or uh, to go after money, to go after sex, no matter what it may be. It, it gets in the heart. It, it takes the person over. And the principles of the world are put before you by the world. And that can be in various ways. It can be the media. It can be someone you know, someone you're around, and their thinking is the thinking of the world, and they're moving in, in and under the principles of the world. And if you take that in and you allow that to... Um, grow in your heart, or that seed to uh, filter down into your heart, then what takes place is that you now are spoiled because that takes, takes you over. You start to have a different direction other than the Lord. And as I said, you can see this with people where they become consumed with something. I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is. It can be work. It can be uh, activities. It can be... Um, some pleasure, it can be hobby, it doesn't matter. It, the point is that the principles of the world, maybe you um, are around someone that's in your family, a relative, and they're worldly, their thinking's worldly, and you know they're becoming successful in a certain area, and you're looking at that and you're saying, well, I'm a Christian and I'm not really too successful in this particular area. And now, you know, you, you gaze upon that and your heart slowly starts to drift toward a different way of thinking or a different mode of operation. And so you can, you can be taken over. You can be spoiled by the principles of the world. Now, we looked last week, and we're not going to look at it today, the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, the context of that is the kingdom of God is like. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like, and then he goes on and talks about uh, the, um, the talents. The primary truth in the parable of the talents is increase. And the one, remember the Lord 
gives the story that one is given five talents, one is given two talents, and, and I think it's elsewhere, it's, it's different. But, and then it says that one is given one talent, and then when the Lord comes back and he, he's talking to him about his one talent, he says that I buried in the in the ground, and the one talent that, that I have, he says, I knew that you were a hard man, uh, and I, I buried it in the ground. Here's your talent. And I, I was thinking about that this morning, and I said, what, what does this word hard? You're a hard man. Does that mean the Lord is hard-hearted? You are a hard man. So, again, low and need, as lexicon says, being hard and demanding in one's behavior. So, you have the principles of the world you take to yourself, you, know, you take, you know, you keep it, you, you gather, and you bury your talent so that you know nothing happens to that. And this individual that Jesus is talking about has a different way of thinking, a different mode of operation, and they're not too interested in the increase because you know they say he is a hard man. But see, he's hard as far as uh, demanding a certain type of behavior from his people as he does with Christians. The Lord is interested in you, and so he will bring his word, he will bring his spirit, and he will, will desire and move along a certain way with you so that your behavior lines up with whatever he is showing you. And so, yes, he's hard in that respect because he wants the increase in your life. How can you have the increase of the Lord as far as, for example, the character of Christ, you know, if you have the rudiments of the world or the principles of the world that are functioning in your heart and your life? Your behavior, your, your conduct is becoming more and more and more like the world and your thinking is becoming more and more like the world. How can, uh, you know, one like that have the characteristics of Jesus Christ. See, he cannot increase you and myself, any Christian, uh, in that character if the philosophy of the world, the rudiments of the world, the principles of the world are at work in our lives. So that is why the Lord goes to great lengths to uh, tweak your life, to show you that this must go, that must go, this can't remain. Uh, I'll deal with you in this area. I'll deal with you, you know, with your attitude, whatever it may be. And he comes and he does that because, you know, he wants this increase in our lives. Now, in Ephesians, so the talent, by the way, the talent they believe was approximately in today's monetary value in this country was a thousand dollars. See, but the focus here was not money. The focus was not material. That was not, you know, what what Jesus, Jesus was talking about. The focus was that there would be an increase in in the kingdom of God, or there would be an increase in um, kingdom principles in your life that you would function under some of the kingdom principles that Jesus mentioned. You know, you sow your life. Uh, you know, if you want to be strong, you must become weak. Um, you want, uh, no, don't worry about the exaltation, but the Lord will exalt you but only after you, know, you humble yourself. So these 
are some of the kingdom principles, and they're set in the Gospels. You can see them, uh, sowing and reaping. And, of course, you hear this all the time about money. You know, you, you turn on TV, and you hear it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, sow your $10, reap $100. That's not what the Lord was talking about at all. He's talking about an increase in the kingdom of God. Where? In you. How are we going to do that? Well, as you begin to function under some of those kingdom principles that I mentioned, the Lord, by the way He works, will bring increase in your life. Now, in Ephesians 3, verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this word unsearchable here means that you cannot comprehend it. Now, of course, the riches that Christ has, we have no idea how, that, how much that is to the, the depth or the height of, of his riches. But I believe that it's unsearchable until your heart lines up personally with his will and his purpose for you. And once you, you, know, you have that uh, alignment there, then the Lord begins to show you one area of, of his richness and begins to move you in a way to obtain that. The riches that Christ has, of course, we're not going to obtain all the riches that Jesus has. But we can obtain the riches that he has ordained for us personally. And so, you know, he, he breaks that forth to those, and of course there's other things that come into play, you know, having a seeking heart and surrender and all these other things. But the point being this, that our heart must be moving toward him, and we must desire him, and he becomes the focus and the focal point rather than the principles of the world working in our lives. So if Jesus Christ is the center of our lives, that will mean that we will be moving under certain kingdom principles. So you can't say, well, Jesus, you, you know, pray up, come up here and pray, Jesus be the center of my life, and then turn around and do something completely different than the kingdom principles that he talks about in the Gospels. See, it will never work. So he has certain things set up the way he does for your benefit to bring richness to your heart and to your life. Now, I mentioned last week, and I want to look at a few more verses. There are two necessary components in the Bible, I believe, for enrichment. One is faith, and the other is obedience. Turn to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 18. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten the God who, who fathered you. Now, of course, we know that's applying to the children of Israel, but those same words can be repeated many times and are repeated today, even today, with Christians who forget the God who fathers them. 
And it's not a, a mental thing where you're thinking about the Lord all the time. He's talking about in your conduct or the way you are walking, you are forgetting the one who fathered you. Well, who's the one to father you? What does that mean? Well, he's brought you into him. You know, you received Christ and, you know, the light was turned on. You know, you have began to be a partaker of the heavenly calling. And so whenever we go our own way, whenever we function in a different way uh, other than, uh, you know, moving toward uh, holiness, if we're going to move towards sin, then we will, we will con- hear the same words, really, that, that you have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. So, you know, he can be provoked by his people, especially if they turn to idols, or especially if they turn to sin in whatever way, um, that can, provo- can provoke God. And, and, of course, that would, it would have to be, a, a, I believe, a continual thing most of the time. And he said, verse 20, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their end will be, uh, what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom have no faith. So the one or the nation here that are the people that have no faith are the ones that begin to walk in their own way and in their own path and desire what they want. See, to have faith, true faith in God, is not necessarily meaning faith to heal the sick uh, or to raise the dead or to do anything like that, you know, to calm the sea. But faith toward God, uh, looking to Him in everything. Now, there's a verse in Hebrews. We're not going to go there. Um, you can go to Mark. Let's go to Mark 4. There's a verse in Hebrews that talks about leaving the um, elementary principles um, of the gospel, um, what's it say, baptism. He goes on, he mentions different things, and then he says, faith toward God. And that word toward, I looked that up. The, the preposition pros, P-R-O-S, means toward. But the preposition used in Hebrews 6.1 is epi, which means upon. And the translators probably looked at that and they said, well, it's probably better to translate it toward than upon. What does it mean, you know, upon? But our faith, leaving the, the, the prince, certain principles, he talks about what they are, and he says, faith upon God. So that's a, an elementary principle by which the Lord begins to build in our life. So our faith is to be upon Him, not upon our own ability, not upon uh, what we may think, not upon what somebody said, not upon this, that, or the other thing. Our faith is to be upon God. Now in Mark 4, I think I have a wrong reference here. 
Okay, let's look at, okay, it's, here it is. Verse 30. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? So now he's going to give you another view into the kingdom of God. Now, you can go through, especially Matthew, but you can go through Luke and Mark and look at, do a study on kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, and you will see Jesus likens it unto many different things. And in here, it is like, verse 31, a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. Now, a mustard seed is pretty, pretty small. Now, not compared to a lettuce seed, but lettuce only gets this big or this big. A mustard seed, when it grows, it's quite big. So comparatively, comparatively, the size of that little seed and what's produced is quite something. Verse 32, but when it, it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So if you have faith like a mustard seed, and that faith is correct. In other words, it's centered upon God. Uh, it's not that you want to be someone or, you know, you know I'm going to raise the dead. I want to do this so that people look at me and they know I'm a man or woman of faith. No, no, not that. If you have faith upon Him or faith in God, that seed will begin to grow, and the point here is that it grows to a certain uh, dimension, a certain largeness that the birds of the air can lodge upon it. So that the increase there is shown in the birds lodging upon the branches. So the increase is not for you and I. See, the increase is to benefit others, the other birds. They're going to come and lodge upon it. And maybe they're, they're young in the Lord. Maybe they, uh, they don't know too much. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're having problems. And maybe they're thinking of you know, turning back and not serving the Lord anymore. So now, because you have grown and you have the increase, now the other birds can lodge upon the branches. So the point I believe here in this or one of the points in this parable, is that there is increase that benefits others. See, your increase in God is not to be centered upon you alone. It's for a purpose, and we'll look at that a little later. Now, I want to just read a couple verses. I have them here in my notes. Now, there's a verse, uh, I think it's in Romans, it says, that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And so, <clears throat> your faith in God is important. Your faith in God will be one of the avenues by which the righteousness of God will be revealed to you. So here we are, and you know, you're, at whatever point in time, you know, maybe a year ago you can think about this, you know, or maybe not, whatever. But you have a Christian with 
a certain degree of faith. And here they are and they're on this particular level here. And so the Lord will come and he will challenge that individual. He'll challenge you. Do you know God's going to challenge your faith? God always challenges us. And so here we are. We're moving on this level here. And so he will come with something that's overwhelming. You know you can't function in, a, in this higher level. You, you just know it. It's not you. And that's the point. And the Lord will take you from the level of faith or the degree of faith that you have today to another level. See, that's why the challenge. That's why he comes the way he comes to bring you from one level of faith to another level of faith. And in the process, in the circumstance, whatever it may be, going from one level of faith to the next level of faith, the righteousness of God will be revealed. Or, if you look up that word righteousness, it's dealing with character. So that the character of God is going to be revealed to some degree to you, to me. And as I mentioned last week, uh, years ago I ran into a situation uh, where I didn't really know what to do. Uh, and I was faced with you know, a divorce... And I felt the Lord wanted reconciliation like the Bible teaches. And so I went on in that thing for three years. And the Lord did quite a bit in that time as I kept my eyes upon him. And I want to tell you, just saying that is one thing. But for you and I to do that in certain circumstances, it will be very difficult. But see... What he wants to do, the enrichment that he wants to bring into your life as a Christian, will have its basis upon whether you walk with him in these places of difficulty or whether you're going to take things into your own hands and do what you want to do or what you think should be done. You know, that, that, that's, that, that will either be a source of Enrichment for you or a source of, okay, there's, there's the one talent and I'm going to dig it up and that's all I have. And so the Lord would instruct me in certain things, how to act, what to do, what not to do, what to say. And there were times when I really wanted to just unload and say certain things. And I had to temper that and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do in this situation? Because, as I shared last week, the Lord showed me that when I come out of this thing, and I would come out of it, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but when I come out of it, if I never wanted to look back and say, I should have did this, I should have did that, I must walk with God in it. And that's all I knew. And that was enough for me. And most of the people that I knew and people in the church had no clue what, what was going on with me. No clue. And, you know, God was taking me like a washcloth or like a sponge and just twisting me. And, you know, I was wondering, Lord, what in the world are you doing? But then what was very encouraging was that somehow, some way, I was able to see the way of God in one area. And that's all I needed. Because I could see 
that there would be an increase. I don't know, I don't know how, but I knew that there would be an increase if I walked with him and cooperated with him in this whole time. And so that was what was in front of me, and, and I, I was determined, determined to walk with God in this thing. And, you know, it makes me cry because, not because of the outcome of it, it makes me cry because I can see what God did through it. It was, I would never, ever have thought that I would be able to see certain things and that certain things would be done in my heart and my life through this because it was just a horrible situation. So, you know, we go through horrible situations sometimes in our life. And the tendency for all of us is to focus upon the situation. That's only normal. People in the world, you know, you talk to them, some people you talk to, you'll hear their problem all the time, every time you're around them, that's all they talk about. But see, the Lord is interested in something in these situations. So we will experience them all the time, well, maybe not all the time, but I mean throughout our Christian walk, and we'll be in things, and nobody may understand how you're feeling in it, how your heart is, how you're emotionally in it, you know, all that. And... By the way, they don't have to. See, we have a personal, personal relationship with the Lord. And certain circumstances and situations will touch you personally. But we have a God who is a personal God. And He will be in it with you the whole time. Whether you see it, whether you know it, or not. And so the Lord uses these things to enrich us, but we don't like it. We don't like it. We want to get out of it. We don't want to have any inconvenience. We don't want to suffer in any situation. It's because of, you know, the way we are. We're made of flesh. And good thing, God knows that. And he will give you what you need in a situation as long as you have faith toward him, and you're, you're going to believe, even though you don't see the outcome. We walk by faith, not by sight. And some of the things that people try to avoid, Christians, are the very things that God is using to bring increase in their life. And they're trying to avoid it. But see, God has ways that avoidance of them will be impossible. You're in them. You can't do anything. You can't even work your way out of it. But see, in order for you to glean what the Lord wants gleaned in these circumstances, you must hear Him, and you must walk and do what He's showing you. And, you know, I believe that I did that. I can't think, and even at the time, I, there wasn't... I didn't lose my temper, I didn't scream, I didn't yell, I, I didn't not pay the mortgage, I did not, uh, you know, say, well, I'm not paying the bills, let throw them out on, you know, let them throw them out in the street, let them foreclose in the house. I did none of that. I did what God showed me to do. And, and when I came out of it, 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 was, it was really something, and the Lord 
you know, does these little things for you. And um, he did a little thing for me, and I just shook my head. And I said, you are really something, Lord. And I mean that in a good way. You are really something. It just shows me that he has things under control. And so faith in God, or faith toward God, for us is important. And the verse I was going to read says, For I say, through the grace given to me, this is in Romans, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each man a measure of faith, a degree of faith. So he gives to each man a measure of faith, but see, you are not to remain with that measure. The measure is to increase. You're not to remain with one talent. It's to increase. And it's not that, okay, now I have all this faith. I can do this and I can do that. that that's not it either. See, having the increase of your faith is to bring the character of Jesus Christ to a greater degree to you. Not to have faith to raise the dead. You know, that's fine. But that's not the focus of faith. The focus of faith is the righteousness of God, the character of God, regardless of the outlet of faith, you know, regardless of what's going on with it. And then um, Hebrews 11:6, 6, and we know this verse, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, it says here that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, what's the reward? See, what's the reward of your faith? Other people thinking that you're some great person? You're some great Christian? That's very fleeting. <laughs> you're the great person until you make a mistake or they see your faults. God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the reward is not... In the natural, the reward is the increase of God in the life. That, that's the best reward. That's the only reward. The best reward that you can have, do you know this, is not heaven. Now, you say that in some churches. They might want to flog you. <laughs> the greatest reward is not heaven. The greatest reward that you can have is that when you stand before him, that you are like him. You have, to some degree, the character of Jesus Christ. Do you want the character of Jesus Christ in you? Well, he has ways and methods by which he does that. So next time you're in a difficult situation, don't do what the children of Israel did, and cry and complain and moan and groan and uh, you know, chide with God. But have faith. Remember, they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. That's the opposite of faith. So believe God that he has your best interest in mind and that he will work in your life to bring about a circumstance that you are powerless to change and you may hate it, but you want to look to him in faith because you believe that God can bring increase out of that, regardless of what it may be. And he will do that, and you will find that you will have the increase of God in your life. And, and God gives the increase, as, as uh, Paul said. Not this person or that person, but God. He's the one. He's the center. 
Now, in Exodus, so that's faith. Faith is necessary for enrichment. In uh, Exodus 19, the second one is obedience. And we can talk about obedience, you know, all day long. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special or I believe the King James says, peculiar people to me above all uh, the people, for all uh, the earth is mine. So in this verse, uh, he says here, if you will indeed obey. There's two small words in this verse that are probably the most important words in this verse. And it is, if and then. If it's conditional, that's a word of condition. It's like saying, well, uh, if you come up here, I will give you $10. Well, the condition, if, if you come up, that's the condition. Then, if you come up here, then I will give you, then is the increase, the giving, the coming out, you know, too. So, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice. So the condition here is obeying the voice and keeping his commandments. He says, then you shall be a special people or a peculiar treasure or a special treasure or a valued possession. So obedience to the Lord, not at first here, you see, uh, walking in obedience may be a better way to say that, not just obeying one time, but walking so that your life uh, is walked in a way or lived in a way that you are obeying the Lord in this, you're obeying the Lord in that. Whatever he may show you to do or not to do, you're obeying him in that. See, and over time, that obedience brings increase. You shall be a valued possession. You well, how will I, little old me, become a valued possession? Because as you and I walk in obedience over time, he will increase, bring the increase. He will bring some of the characteristics of Jesus, which are really good. You know, being gentle, uh, being loving, uh, you know, having patience. That's brought to us to some degree and placed in our heart and life. See, that's the increase of the Lord. And when the Lord sees a Christian like that, he says, they are my value possession. They are a, a special, a peculiar people. The condition is if you obey his voice. So, faith and obedience are both necessary for God to enrich your life. So you cannot be enriched... Well, you can be enriched in your job with money. You can be enriched with a house, with a car, with success, with position, with honor from the world. But to be enriched in what Paul talks about, in what the Bible talks about, true riches and true success, is quite something, quite different, something different. So your obedience and your faith will be the two components if they're operating in your life, for the Lord to bring richness into you. See, so, you know, we're all going to stand before 
the judgment seat of Christ, all, the, all Christians. And John says that we, we do not know what we shall be later on, what's going to happen, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That doesn't mean exactly like him. See, some Christians will be more like him than others because in their circumstance, they had faith toward God, didn't take things into their own hand and do what they wanted, and they were obedient to the Lord in that, and those will be the ones that will be more like Jesus in character than maybe some of the others who didn't. See, so there's so many things in the Bible, so many um, ways that the Lord has laid out here for us to obtain certain things. And just being a Christian, say, well, I accepted the Lord, and, and that's it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. That, see, that's not enough. That, that's, heaven is never in the Bible a goal. Never. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible, heaven being a goal. But you will find Jesus Christ. I press, Paul says, I press toward the, the mark, toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, that was his goal, not heaven. You think Paul went to heaven? Of course he went to heaven. You can go to heaven without your focus being on heaven, and that's the way it's to be. You know, our focus is to be on the Lord. Okay, let me see here. Let me read this verse here. This is uh, from Peter. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, or the way you, you know, looked at things and desired all the things you desired before. You know, don't be conformed to that. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, for it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And then another scripture in Romans, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith, and so forth. So Paul says that, the apostle, he says that, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. See, Paul knew quite a bit. Paul saw these things. You know, he, he wrote one-third of the New Testament, and he, he had great wisdom and understanding, uh, and the Lord, you know, dealt with him because of that, with a thorn in the flesh, but the point is that he, he saw quite a bit, he penned quite a bit, he's given us a lot in the Bible, and, you know, it does not have to be complicated. If you think that things are complicated, then just stop and get down to the basics. Faith and obedience. Listening to the Lord. You know, having faith. And, you know, that will be enough to take you on to where you'll start to see things. You'll start to understand things. You'll perceive things in the kingdom. You'll understand some of the principles and how they're operating. And all that will help you to stay in there and continue on walking with him so that he can continue this process of increase in your life. Now, in the scripture we looked at before, the unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul says. The word riches means fullness. 
you know, I don't know what the fullness of, of the Lord is. And then there's another scripture that says in John, and of his fullness have we all received. So think about that. All the men and women of God that you know, and maybe some of them that you hold in high esteem that have something in God. They have a relationship. They have, they have some increase there. It says every one of them, every one of them has had a small portion of his fullness. If that's the case, how much fullness does Jesus really have? Well, he has enough for your life. He has quite enough. And sometimes I believe that Christians, you know, they kind of become lax and they don't really, you know, want to press forward and continue to walk with God to obtain more. You know, the children of Israel had to go into the promised land and in Joshua's time, they had to, to go to Jericho. They had to march around the wall seven times. They had to go to Ai. They had to go to these other areas and encounter uh, these tribes, these warrior people that, you know, were, that was their basic skill, was fighting. But see, they didn't sit back and say, well, you know, the promised land's ours. We're going to heaven. And I'm just going to take it easy, and I don't think we really need to go and march around Jericho. I mean, you know, we're going to heaven. What do we need to do that for? No, you have to be obedient. You have to push forward. They had to march around. If they didn't march around, the walls wouldn't have fell. See, so taking this lackadaisical attitude sometimes is, is not good. You know, you know, Christians get this attitude, well, I'm going to go to heaven, and, you know, and that's all there is to the Christian walk, and that's very dangerous. Now, in closing, I want to look at some scriptures real quick. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 5, that you were enriched in everything. Now, Paul doesn't say what the everything is. It could be, you know, different things in different people's lives. But the point is that you're enriched in everything. And it says here that you are enriched in everything by him. And that word by, the English word by, that is a Greek preposition. And it is in Greek spelled E-N, N. And the meaning of it, the majority of times, is in. You will see that translated. It's translated by sometime too. But the point I believe here is that our enrichment will be in him, in Christ. As we move and operate and function in him, that is where the enrichment is. So that you are enriched in everything in him. Okay. Now, in 2 Corinthians, a couple more verses... 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. We then as workers together with him. So Paul says that we are to work together. You see, there's, there's two uh, thoughts here. Working together as far as the Lord working in my life. So I'm working with him, cooperating with what he wants to do. And working together in the overall purpose 
for the church for others. So we are workers together with him, and then go down to verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. See, so your poverty, in other words, you laying down your life, you putting that aside, you putting yourself, your desires aside, so you become poor. And through your poverty, others will become rich. You'll have an enrichment. You will have something to give to other people. See, so the point in your enrichment here, I believe, is for the benefit of others, just like the mustard seed, you know, the bird's lodge. It's for others. In Ephesians, well, hold your place here. Let me just go to Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 4. And he gave some, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. For, by the way, these are the gifts in the church. Those who have gone through the process, those who have been enriched by the Lord, and now he takes them over a period of time, however long that is, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. Then he, he takes them and he gives them to the church. So 4, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So for the equipping of the saints. So equipping is an increase. So he increases uh, the, the apostles, the evangelists, and so forth, whomever. And then he is used by God to equip or to bring that increase into others. But the point is that the increase here is not for the individual. Not for the individual. It is for others. It's to increase others. That's the point behind it. And then in... In 2 Corinthians, where you are, chapter 8, here's the pattern, and I read this last week, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Jesus was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He, he you know, came to earth. He had the richness of heaven, of the throne. He puts that aside. He becomes poor. He's born in a manger. Uh, you know... Very, very meager beginning. There he is. He's poor. For your sakes, he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So you here have been enriched by Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. And then you are to follow the same pattern. You sow your seed, your life. Uh, You put aside your self-will, your self-desires. You surrender to the Lord, so you become poor. You have no life, so to speak. So that others would become rich. That's the pattern. That's what he's after. So walk with him. Allow him to enrich your life. And that may take 10, 15, 20 years or more. And then he will put and deposit certain things in you that you will have now to enrich others. And by the way, you don't have to wait for 10 or 20 years to enrich others. You can, you can give to others in many ways. And that's, that's what it's for. It's not for you, it's for others.